the Lord gave me part of this passage to share this morning with an illustration, but I think the whole of it is for you. Okay, so I'm going to read it all. It's in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, I think. Yes, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 through 21. Here's what it says. The Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those, are all those who long for him. O people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. Read this again. Your ears will hear a word behind you. Quote, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. That's pretty personal. Just take that and ask the Lord if it's relevant to you and if it, how it applies to what you're going through, what you're dealing with, okay? All right, take your Bible. I hope you brought one. Galatians chapter 4. We've been uh, dealing in Galatians, covering the issue. Paul went to these churches in the region of Galatia and taught Christ. That's what he taught, Jesus. Faith in Christ. Faith in Jesus is the answer to righteousness. And after he did that, a group came in behind him, a group of men who came in to discredit him. First of all, to discredit his message. They basically were saying, it's not just Christ. It's Christ plus circumcision and the law. It's Christ plus circumcision and the law. Now, we all know the best way to discredit someone's message is to discredit them. So they not only discredited what Paul was saying, they discredited who he was. They questioned his authority. They challenged his apostleship. All of those things in order to mislead the Galatians away from the reality that it was just faith in Christ. And Paul used, uh, yeah, Paul used eight premises to make his point. We're on number seven. We talked about it a little bit last week. And if you look with me in Galatians chapter 3, verse uh, 23, we'll just start there because we're going to go into chapter 4. Chapter 3, verse 23, he says, But before faith came, 
we were kept in custody under the law. As we talked about last week, Paul writes in response to questions he sees they're going to have. And this question that he's addressing now is, well, then why even have the law? If we don't have the law to keep, if we're not supposed to keep the law, if it's just Christ alone, why do we have the law? And Paul is explaining why we had the law. And he said in verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now go down to chapter 4, because we're going to take up there, because he goes on and more. And he says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, the heir was the child of the father. He was literally an heir. Everything that the father had, he was going to inherit. Everything that the father produced, at some point, he was going to inherit. But before he was to inherit it, literally, there was a process that he went through. And the father committed him to something. Now, he says, now I say as long as the heir is a child. That word child there means unable to speak. This child didn't have a voice. As long as he was in this position, he didn't have a voice. He was there for a particular purpose. Wasn't to give counsel, wasn't to give direction. He was there for a particular purpose. Now, he says, now I say as long as the heir is a child, He does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. I want you to just kind of take a picture of this. He mentions two things here. He says guardians and managers. Guardians or tutor. Same word is used for tutor. Here was the definition of a tutor. A tutor is a superior servant responsible for the purpose, excuse me, let's start over. A superior, a tutor is a superior servant responsible for the persons composing the household, whether children or slaves. So here's what the tutor's responsibility was. Any of the children that were in the household, whether they were slaves of the father, whether they were slaves of the, uh, excuse me, children of the owner, or whether they were children of the slaves, the tutor was responsible for them. And they were all lumped together. It didn't matter if this kid was the, the, the child of the father, and it didn't matter if this kid was the child of a slave. They were both under the control of the tutor. All right, does that make sense? He said there wasn't any distinction between the two. And then the word managers. The word manager or governor is another word for it, is made up of two Greek words. It's made up of oikos, which is house, nomos, which is law. And here's how it spells out. It denotes a superior servant responsible for the family housekeeping the direction of servants, 
and the care of the children under age. So you've got two distinctions here. You've got the governor. You've got the manager. He's over the entire household. Everything that takes place in the household, he's responsible for it. Under him, there were tutors. And the tutor or the guardian, he was responsible directly for the children. So the tutor answered to the governor, answered to the manager. He was the one that ran everything. It was the tutor, it was the guardian whose responsibility was to look after the moral, physical, intellectual well-being of the child, of the children. They weren't a teacher. They saw to it that they were taught, but they weren't actually the teacher. They were the ones responsible to see that they got taught. And he says, here's this child who is a direct descendant of the father. As long as he is a child under the tutor, he is no more significant than the child of the slave. All right? Now he goes on. So also, we were children. While we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world, all right? But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoptions as sons. Here's what happened. Here's the son. He was under the tutor. The tutor was under the manager, He was under there until the time came that the father looked at this son and says, you are ready to be an heir. You are ready to receive all that is here. You're ready. You are mature enough. You have grown enough. You have responded correctly. And now it is time for you to be a partner, a co-worker with me in all that I have and all that I'm doing. But up until that point, he had no authority. He didn't even have any responsibility where he's concerned, except to submit to the tutor. Now, he comes along and he says, you and I have been under a tutor. We were under the law. He uses another word here, the elemental things of the world. He describes the law as an elemental thing. Now, watch. The word elemental means, and I'll have to read this, and then I hope I can explain it. The elemental means any first things from which others in a series or composite whole take their rise. I'm going to read it again. Any first things from which others in a series or a composite whole take their rise. It is used in terms of letters, vocabulary letters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. To us, letters, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, those are the elemental things to make up the whole, which is words, all right? So it's the beginning. It's the first things that's there. The law is there as a first thing. Letters for us are a stepping stone to understand words. We don't have to take a word and spell out every little letter in it because we have been trained in the elemental things to look at a word and understand what they say. 
That's the, what he's talking about here. He says the law was a stepping stone, was a protection, was a guardian, was a, it was a first things, very minor things, and it was there for someone who didn't have no responsibility. So he says, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that we might, he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. We talked about last work last week. That process of being under the tutors, of being disciplined, of being trained, and then ultimately coming into the inheritance, becoming intimate with the Father, becoming partner with the Father, that process is called adoption. Up until this time, all of the dealings that the son had would be with the tutor. He didn't have dealings with the father. He had dealings with the tutor. All right? Now watch. So that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. Now then, that time has come. Once that son has reached that level that the father says, you're ready to work with me. You're ready to be a partner with me. You're ready to receive everything that I have. And now then, I'm no longer this abstract authority. I am Daddy, I am Papa, I am Father, we're in this together, and I am here for you, and you are here for me to work with me, to cooperate with me. The Spirit that God sent forth into my heart takes the place of tutors, guardians, managers, governors, and All elemental things that kept me in bondage, that is the law. Because I am a son. I am an adopted son. The law kept me. The law was a bondage to protect me and to guard me. And now the father who says, you're my son. We're in this together. This spirit that he sent to live in my heart has everything necessary for me to live as a partner, as a son in the birthright provided for me by Jesus. The law has nothing to help me be that son. The law provides nothing to facilitate me living out that sonship. It's all inherent in this spirit that God sent into my heart and made me cry out, Daddy, look at this. He guides me into the truth, and then he does something that the tutor could never do. He enables me to obey the truth. 
All the tutor could say was, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. How do I do it? It don't matter how you do it. You can't do it anyway, but I'm telling you to do it. That was the law. That was the tutor. Don't do this. Don't go there. Worship this way. Do this. Make this sacrifice. Make this offering. And if you do anything wrong in one of them, you're guilty of them all. How do I, how do I, how do I fix that? You can't. Just don't do it. And now the Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And he not only guides us into the reality, but he equips us to live that reality out before the Father. Without the awareness and relationship with this Spirit, it is impossible to live the life of a son. You will always live a life of a slave. As long as you live your life by principles and rules and guidelines and laws and all of those things, you will be a slave to them because they do not provide the means to accomplish what they demand. When the Spirit comes to live in our heart, He guides us into that reality, and then He empowers us to be able to do that. All I have up until that time or these elemental things that I try to live up to in self-effort, in religious duties, and I'm enslaved again. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. If you know Christ, you are not a slave. You are a son. You are an heir. You are a partner. You are a co-worker with the Father. And he says, however, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God or to be known by God, how is it? that you turn back to the weak and elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved in all over again. He says, look, Christ set you free. Christ fulfilled the law. Christ brought you through under the tutor, under the manager, and he redeemed you out of that. And now you want to go back to that? You want to go back to the tutor? You want to go back to the manager? You want to go back to the elemental things? You want to go back to the letters instead of the words? You want to go back to that? And he describes it. This is, this is I cannot tell you how controversial this is in some circles. Because today there is still this voice that says, Yes, Christ set you free, but we keep and we describe it. And he describes it this way. You observe days and months and seasons and years. All of those things spelled out in the law. You still try to keep those. I'm saying to you, you're free from that. You're a son. You're a partner with the father. He says, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. 
and the tone shifts in the letter. You'll see that in a minute. The tone shifts. Up until this time, Paul has stated all of these biblical expressions, all of this revelation about the Father and about the Son, about what Jesus did. And he spells them all out, and he goes down and lays them out in order. But now all of a sudden, the tone shifts, and he says, I want to tell you my heart. I am afraid that I have labored in vain. I am afraid that I have labored with no end in sight, with no purpose. You've missed it. I'm afraid. There's nothing. I want to tell you something, folks. There's nothing worse than to think that you've given your life to something and it come up empty because we don't hear. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, the compassion in his heart. I beg of you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. I don't know what that illness was. Some people think it was eye problems that he has. Some people think he was, you know, frail from all the beatings that he had taken. I don't know what that was, but apparently it kept him here for a while. You know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition You did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. But as is always the case in the natural, the honeymoon ends. And he says, where is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. You loved me. We were intimate. I shared with you the reality. Where then is the sense of blessing? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, referring to the guys that are coming with this other message, eagerly seek you, not commendably, not for your good, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. And if you go back to Acts, you find out why these guys did what they did because they were so jealous of the crowds and the influence that Paul was having. That was their motive. Their motive was not to give them truth. Their motive was not to give them reality. Their motive was to get them to seek them, to look to them, that they might be somebody, that they might have some prestige and influence. And Paul calls them on it. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. 
But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. That was his heart, that Christ would be formed in them. It wasn't the recognition. It wasn't the influence. It wasn't the prestige. His heart was that Christ would be formed in you, that you would be an expression of him. And what he's saying is, spirit that God gave us to make us sons now provides me with everything necessary to live as a free son. He's not present to help me keep religious principles. He's not present to help me keep denominational rules. He's not present to help me keep principles and guidelines. He is present to help me obey the voice of of the Father, and that was God's intention from the very being. Boy, he just winds that up, and he says, look, that's what God wanted in the first place. He wanted you to hear his voice and walk in it and obey it. Before the child's dealings, before the child reached that adoptive stage, He was answerable to the tutors. But now it's different with the father. It's different in intimacy. And what we read to Isabel, when you hear the voice saying, walk this way, the father says, walk this way. How am I going to know when to do the right thing? When the spirit says, walk this way. But I've got all these reasons and all of these explanations and all of these justifications. Right. And you're, a bond, you're in bondage to them. Because you can't get them to empower you to do them. And he's saying, here on my voice, out of intimacy, out of relationship, walk this way. What's going to keep me from messing up? Hear his voice. And walk this way. In partnership, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, we are a co-worker with Christ, with the Father. He's the Father. I'm still the Son. He didn't put me in charge. He brought me out from under the tutor. He brought me out from under the law to be his partner, to be intimate with him. Why? So that When he says, walk this way, I can walk this way and know where to walk and know what to avoid. Some of us, God's work on the cross was powerful enough to pay for our sins and guarantee us a place in heaven. Oh, yeah, you bet. I'm saved, once saved, always saved, whatever. You know, I, 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 I believe that Jesus died on a cross, rose from the grave, and freed me from my sin, saved, paid for my sins, and now guarantees me a place in heaven. What God did on the cross was powerful enough to do that. 
But God's work in me doesn't seem to be strong enough to keep me from sinning. We don't believe. Do you really believe you don't need the law? Do you really believe that what we, the only thing you need is an intimate relationship with the Father who will tell you where to walk, tell you how to walk, and empower you to walk where he tells you the way he tells you? Well, it's easier to just look at the rules. Tell me what to do. Tell me what not to do. People ask, what do you believe about that? I don't know. Let me ask the priest what I believe about that. How can the power of God be strong enough to pay for my sin, guarantee a place in heaven, and yet not be strong enough in me to keep me from disobeying God? That's a bait and switch. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says. Now it's going to make some sense. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. I want you to know what you've inherited. I want you to know what came with becoming a son the partnership with the Father, the intimacy with the Father. I want you to know the riches of that. I want you to know that because that is in accordance with God's great power, listen to what he says, with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all power, rule, and authority, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in this age to come. Yes, he was powerful enough to do that. Yes, Jesus was, God was powerful enough to let Jesus die on the cross and put him in the grave and rise him and bring him back from the grave and ascend him into heaven and sit him at the right hand of all authority. But I'm not sure he can keep me from getting mad. It's the same power. I'm not sure he can keep me from being anxious. It's the same power. I'm not sure he can keep me from being bitter. It's the same power that is available. But not from trying to keep the law, not from trying to do better, not from trying to do harder, but out of intimacy with the Father to behold him. And let him change me into the image of what he has already made me to be. That's where the power lies. In intimacy with him. And he says, It is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, but not only and not only when I am present with you, my children, with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. I love that picture. Paul says, I'm a midwife. Watching this thing that God has birthed in you, that God has planted in you, come into fruition. 
I'm wanting Christ to be formed in you. And I'm just here to partner with the Father Father, to facilitate what he's doing inside of you. He's going to make you look like Jesus. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone. He says, I am perplexed about you. Boy, I'll put that over my door in my office. I am perplexed about you. (laughs) Paul says, I don't know. That's the best news ever. Why would you want to go back to this bondage when when he is Christ to set you free? Okay? That's a lot of good stuff. Now, it's your turn. We covered seven of the eight. Your homework is to cover eight. And it starts in chapter 4, verse 21. I want to encourage you this week to meditate before the Father on chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, and ask him to speak to you about what that means. What does it look like? What does number eight look like? Okay, and then come and be ready to share that next week. All right, what did you hear today? What word or phrase stood out? What did you hear that either you didn't know or confirmed what you knew? That's more likely. It just confirms what we knew all along. Anyone? What phrase or word stood out? Randy, would you take this back to Paul Velasco? Thank you. couple things stood out uh one was just until christ is formed in you there there the transformation is again that's what he's after that christ all of this is taking place so that christ might be formed in you uh it just that stuck out real the other one is just uh god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and then once the spirit now is in our hearts you you said, and it's so powerful, it's not an abstract God anymore. It's not a God over there. Now, since the Spirit's in our hearts, now it's personal. <clears throat> now we truly cry, Father, and he speaks to us. And the other thing that, was, that stood out to me during worship, I just felt very strong, is the Lord was saying, follow me. Follow me. It, just like he told Peter and James, he said, follow me. Well, that's a daily, moment by moment, following, listening. And when you follow, not the law, but follow him. When you not focus on obeying the law, but focus on obeying him. Mm -hmm. Because the spirit's within you now, you have that intimate relationship with the father. Mm -hmm. And see, I think that's, that is, that is, since we, ever since before we came, our heart was and still is that you learn the heart of the Father here and that you learn the voice of the Father here and that you learn how to walk in that. 
See? All the law we're given, all the law we can make up, can do nothing to add to the Spirit. That's right. That's right. What makes us think we've got a better law than God had? God had. Susan, up here. You just said it so clearly that, you know, coming to know Christ in relationship is not the end all. That's the very beginning. The experiences and the encounters and the moments with him are not the fluff. That is the content. And that's the intent is all of that experience after we know him, Mm -hmm. that encounter, that relationship, that engaging. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we meet the Lord and then we just coast because we think we've hit the end all, and that's just the beginning of really what he intends for us. Mm-hmm. That's good. And see, we get into the thing of, boy, you just don't know how messed up I am. You just don't know how messed up I am. Well, I, I probably don't. But listen to what it says. Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, God knows how messed up we are, and he still entrusted his spirit in us because he knew the power of the spirit was greater than our messed upness. I wouldn't, but he did. He did. Anyone else? Well, I, it, for me, it was the word power. If you believe in God's power to save you through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, then why can't you believe he has the power to work in you and form you into his image? Yeah, that's, that's very strong. That's very accurate. It's the same power. Same power. Anyone else? Okay, your homework is number eight for next week. You're dismissed.